sitting with the pain and the joy of being a human being, while refusing to run for any exits, is the only way to become a real human being. That's Glennon Doyle, and this is the Depression Detox Show. Welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Wednesday. So today we have Glennon Doyle returning to the show to peel back the curtain and share her past struggles with addiction and alcoholism to inspire you to believe that no matter what you've experienced in your own life, that you can always choose to use those experiences to be stronger, to live bolder, and to fully accept yourself for who you are because of it. Here's Glennon Doyle. Enjoy. When I was eight years old, I started to feel exposed, and I started to feel very, very awkward. Every day I was pushed out of my house and into school, all oily and pudgy and conspicuous. And to me, the other girls seemed so cool and together and easy. And I started to feel like a loser in a world that preferred superheroes. So I made my own capes and I tied them tight around me. My capes were pretending and addiction. But we all have our own superhero capes, don't we? Perfectionism and overworking, snarkiness and apathy. They're all superhero capes. And our capes are what we put over our real selves so that our real tender selves don't have to be seen and can't be hurt. Our superhero capes are what keep us from having to feel much at all because every good and bad thing is deflected off of them. And so for 18 years, my capes of addiction and pretending kept me safe and hidden. People think of us addicts as insensitive liars, but we don't start out that way. We start out as extremely sensitive truth-tellers. We feel so much pain and so much love, and we sense that the world doesn't want us to feel that much and doesn't want to need as much comfort as we need, so we start pretending. We try to pretend like we're the people that we think we're supposed to be. We numb and we hide and we pretend, and that pretending does eventually turn into a life of lies. But to be fair, we thought we were supposed to be lying. They tell us since we're little that when someone asks us how we're doing, the only appropriate answer is fine, and you? But the thing is that people are truth tellers. We are born to make our known, our unknown known. We will find somewhere to do it. So 
in private with the booze or the over-shopping or the alcohol or the food, we tell the truth. We say, actually, I'm not fine. Because we don't feel safe telling that truth in the real world, we make our own little world, and that's addiction. That's whatever cape you put on. And so what happens is all of us end up living in these little, teeny, controllable, predictable, dark worlds instead of all together in the big, bright, messy one. I binged and purged for the first time when I was eight, and I continued every single day for the next 18 years. <laughs> Seems normal to me, but you're surprised. <laughs> um, I, every single time that I got anxious or worried or angry, I thought something was wrong with me. And so I took that nervous energy to the kitchen and I stuffed it all down with food. And then I panicked and I purged. And after all of that, I was laid out on the bathroom floor and I was so exhausted and so numb that I never had to go back and deal with whatever it was that had made me uncomfortable in the first place. And that's what I wanted. I did not want to deal with the discomfort and messiness of being a human being. So when I was a senior, year, senior in high school, I finally decided to tell the truth in the real world. I walked into my guidance counselor's office and I said, actually, I'm not fine. Someone help me. And I was sent to a mental hospital. And in the mental hospital, for the first time in my life, I found myself in a world that made sense to me. In high school, we had to care about geometry when our hearts were breaking because we were just bullied in the hallway or no one would sit with us at lunch. And we had to care about ancient Rome when all we really wanted to do was learn how to make and keep a real friend. We had to act tough when we felt scared, and we had to act confident when we felt really confused. Acting, pretending, was a matter of survival. High school is kind of like the real world sometimes. But in the mental hospital, there was no pretending. The jig was up. We had classes about how to express how we really felt through music and art and writing. We had classes about how to be a good listener and how to be brave enough to tell our own story while being kind enough not to tell anybody else's. We held each other's hands sometimes just because we felt like we needed to. Nobody was ever allowed to be left out. Everybody was worthy, that was the rule, just because she existed. And so, in there, we were brave enough to take off our capes. All I ever needed to know, I learned in the mental hospital. <laughs> I remember this sandy-haired girl who was so beautiful, and she told the truth on her arms. And I held her hand one day while she was crying, and I saw that her arms were just sliced up, like pre-cut hams. In there, people wore their scars on the outside so you knew where they stood. And they told the truth so you knew why they stood there. <sighs> so, I graduated from high school and I went on to college, which was way crazier than the mental hospital. 
in college, I added on the capes of alcoholism and drug use. The sun rose every day, and I started binging and purging. And then when the sun set, I drank myself stupid. The sunrise is usually people's signal to get up, but it was my signal every day to come down, to come down from the booze and the boys and the drugs, and I could not come down. That was to be avoided at all costs, so I hated the sunrise. I closed the blinds, and I'd put the pillow over my head while my spinning brain would torture me about the people who were going out into their day, into the light, to make relationships and pursue their dreams and have a day. And I had no day. I only had night. And these days, I like to think of hope as that sunrise. Comes out every single day to shine on everybody equally. It comes out to shine on the sinners and the saints and the druggies and the cheerleaders. It never withholds. It doesn't judge. And if you spend your entire life in the dark and then one day just decide to come out, it'll be there waiting for you, just waiting to warm you. You know, all those years I thought of that sunrise as searching and accusatory and judgmental. But it wasn't. It was just Hope's daily invitation to me to come back to life. And I think if you still have a day, if you're still alive, you're still invited. I actually graduated from college, which makes me both grateful to and extremely suspicious of my alma mater. And I found myself sort of in the real world and sort of not. On Mother's Day 2002, I'm not good at years, we'll just say on Mother's Day, I had spun deeper and deeper. I wasn't even Glennon anymore. I was just bulimia. I was just alcoholism. I was just a pile of capes. But on Mother's Day, one Mother's Day, I found myself on the cold bathroom floor, hungover, shaking, and holding a positive pregnancy test. And as I sat there with my back literally against a wall, shaking, and understanding washed over me. And in that moment on the bathroom floor, I understood that even in my state, even lying on the floor, that someone out there had deemed me worthy of an invitation to a very, very important event. And so, that day on the bathroom floor, I decided to show up, just to show up, to climb out of my dark, individual, controllable world and out into the big, bright, messy one. And I didn't know how to be a sober person or how to be a mother or how to be a friend. So I just promised myself that I would show up and I would do the next right thing. Just show up, Glennon. Even if you're scared, just do the next right thing, 
even when you're shaking. And so I stood up. Now what they don't tell you about getting sober, about peeling off your capes, is that it gets a hell of a lot worse before it gets better. Getting sober is like recovering from frostbite. It's all of those feelings that you've numbed for so long, now they're there and they're present. And at first, it just feels kind of tingly and uncomfortable, but then those feelings start to feel like daggers. The pain, the loss, the guilt, the shame, it's all piled on top of you with nowhere to run. But what I learned during that time is that sitting with the pain and the joy of being a human being while refusing to run for any exits is the only way to become a real human being. And so these days, I'm not a superhero, and I'm not a perfect human being, but I am a fully human being, and I'm so proud of that. I am... Fortunately and frustratingly, still exactly the same person as I was when I was 20 and 16 and eight years old. I still feel scared all the time, anxious all the time, oily all the time. (laughs) I still get very high and very low in life, daily. But I finally accepted the fact that sensitive is just how I was made. That I don't have to hide it, and I don't have to fix it, I'm not broken. And I've actually started to wonder if maybe you're sensitive too. Maybe you feel great pain and deep joy, but you just don't feel safe talking about it in the real world. And so now, instead of trying to make myself tougher, I write and I serve people to help create a world where sensitive people don't need superhero capes, where we can all just come out into the big, bright, messy world and tell the truth and forgive each other for being human and admit together that, yes, life is really hard, but also insist that together we can do hard things. You know, maybe it's okay to say, actually, today I'm not fine. Maybe it's okay to remember that we're human beings and to stop doing long enough to think and to love and to share and to listen. This weekend was Mother's Day, which marked the 11-year anniversary of the day I decided to show up. And I spent the day on the beach with my three children and my two dogs and my one husband, my long-suffering husband, you can only imagine. And life is beautiful, and life is brutal. Life is brutal, all the time, and every day. And only one thing has made the difference for me, and that is this. I used to numb my feelings and hide And now I I feel my feelings and I share. That's the only difference in my life these days. I'm not afraid of my feelings anymore. I know they can come and they won't kill me. And they can take over for a little while if they need to. But at the end of the day, what they are is really just guides. 
They're just guides to tell me what is the next right thing for me to do. Loneliness, it leads us to connection with other people. And jealousy, it guides us to what we're supposed to do next. And pain guides us to help other people. And being overwhelmed, it helps us to ask, it guides us to ask for help. And so I've learned that if I honor my feelings as my own personal prophets, and instead of running, I just be still, that there are prizes to be won. And those prizes are peace and dignity and friendship. Big thanks to Glennon Doyle. The last episode that she was on was episode number 65. So you can go back and check that one out. And you can connect with her by going to her website, mamastry.com, or check out on Instagram at Glennon Doyle and her latest and most wildly successful book with over 2 million copies sold so far is entitled Untamed. And I'll have all the links to connect with Glennon that I just mentioned, as well as a link to the entire talk. And they will all be in the show description. And that's a wrap for me. Don't forget to follow the show, share it, or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. As always, I appreciate you. And I'll see you back here Friday. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.